Now, I'd like everybody to welcome Susan Taylor, who's one of the professional officers for education here at the association. And she'll be explaining the continuing professional development for nurses. And I've already explained that um, there's no points. It's ours. No points. So please join me in welcoming Susan. Thanks very much. All right. You've been going for a long time this morning. Now it's this afternoon. Can you all hear me? What, are you all looking at a bit of paper you just got given, are you? They're all talking to themselves. Oh, goody. All right, so you should have been handed out your certificate of the day. Yeah? Are you all, are you all just like over it now? <laughs> hey, what about moi, hey? I get this gig, the last one. Okay, so you've just been given a certificate and, and Mark held them till now because he didn't want anyone walking out the door. Well, some have. Um, but I'm going to explain to you the worthiness of certificates as we go through. Because you'll see on the top of that certificate, it, call, it says it's a certificate of attendance. Yeah? So that means you walk through the door, you sat down, you picked up your certificate and you left. Yeah. Certificates, you have to do more with a certificate than just actually pick it up for it to be relevant in the world of national registration and CPD. Okay, and hence why there's some stuff on the back of it, but I'll talk about that in a second. So let's just, just briefly do a, just a bit of an overview, and I'm, I will make this, I will not go for an hour, I promise you. Because there's no way that you're going to be here at four, I, can, I know that. But I'm happy to answer your questions as we go. So, this scheme of us moving to national registration began in 1 July 2010. So we're five years into the, the, the national registration scheme. So APRA and the board think we're all up to speed about all these registration standards that have changed and you all have an, a really good idea about CPD. After talking to numerous nurses over the last five, uh, five years since this was introduced, that's really not the case. Okay, most of you are still in quite a, a muddle about what you're supposed to be doing or you've been told misinformation um, and a lot of that misinformation is, is you know, all over the place from your colleagues, employers. We seem to want to scare each other to death about all the things that you might have to do for CPD. We make it like this mountain you've got to climb when I'm actually going to tell you it's actually a lot simpler than a lot of people have led you to believe. Okay, so this is about bringing your, your stress levels down a little bit on a Friday afternoon. So originally there were 10 professions that joined the National Registration Scheme and the, the reason of for actually being in that registration scheme was exactly the same as when we had state-based schemes except now that you only have to register once to work anywhere in the country. So if you worked close to a border, no longer would you need to register in both states and pay two separate fees. So one fee, walk, work all over the country. So that were the 10 that first joined the scheme. There was quite a, a number on up there. We were just one as nurses and midwives. As you can see, there's a whole range of people from pharmacists, physios, podiatrists, anyone who had a nationally agreed qualification. Okay, so their profession agreed across the country what their qualification would be. 
um, were able to join the scheme. As things have gone on, we're now up to 14. And you'll see the last ones that have joined are the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander workers. They've finally agreed on their qualification across the country. You might see there's one group on there that actually spoke to you guys this morning that are a glaring omission, and that's the ambulance service. They haven't agreed across the country to their qualification that they'd like to, to have. So they aren't actually part of national registration yet. Hopefully they will be one day. One of the things that changed, and one of the, the, the things that you will have had some conversations with is that agency called APRA. Okay, the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Agency. All APRA are interested in is your registration. That's what they do. The NMBA, or the Nursing Ministry Board of Australia, they do everything else. Now when I say everything else, what I mean is they do all the accrediting of courses across the country, curriculums to train as a nurse or a midwife. They handle things like your code of conduct, your code of ethics, or your competency standards. That's the role of the NMBA. Now, do you know both of those competency standards are being reviewed at the moment? Oh, goody. No. Yeah, so the nursing, registered nursing competencies and the enrolled nursing competencies are both under review. You should have got an email to tell you that they were being reviewed and inviting you to have a, a conversation. Went into the junk. Yeah? Yeah? See, th this is a problem that we've got. See, well, the problem, when we talk to APRA, they say, look, we, we send all this information out to, you know, the, the profession. But we don't tend to read all the emails that come that look so exciting and sexy from APRA, do we? They kind of just get left there and it's like, oh, we'll come back to come back. Oh, it's fallen off into the junk and gone. So a lot of times when they think they're consulting with us, we're not actually looking at what they're sending us. So when they actually do change, so when, any enrolled nurses in the room? Oh, a couple. They're rare and dying breed in mental health, yeah? Um, when they change, they'll be the first ones to change, you'll just get an email telling you that they've been updated and telling you to go to the website and have a look. So if you don't go and have a look, you don't know. And they're really important when I'm going to talk to you about CPD, that you need to know what those competency standards are. All right. That's a slide just to try and demonstrate how those different bodies talk to each other. So as I said, you've got APRA at the top, which is the agency looking at your registration. You've got the NMBA, or the National Board. Then, because things went so swimmingly in after about 12 months, they found out there was too many of us for national boards to cope with any of this amount of work. We now have state boards re-established. So you have a state board of APRA and a state board of the national board. And you have a new body called the Nursing and Midwifery Council. So the council are the ones now that do the disciplinary type framework stuff. So if you know any of that sort of process, in New South Wales, Basically, nothing much has changed. We've kept our original process with the Healthcare Complaints Commission. In every other state, if you get into some sort of trouble, you'll be under the national scheme. So you just need to be aware when you move around and travel and, and work. Just run you through some of the, the key things that change. Now, these are the things that they've sent to you 
And when you re-register every year, you're ticking all your boxes and saying, yep, I know that, yes, I know that, I'm aware of this. These are things you said you know already, or you know, you're already across. So let's do the quiz and see who passes. Protected titles, have you heard of that? I know there's one person in front nodding, I wish they'd stop because they do know. <laughs> Anyone else? Because you've heard me before, love. Yeah, how, many, how many times have you heard me speak? Ah, oh, dear my dear, I've got a stalker. Anyone else? No? Protected title. Okay, for the first time what we have is the term nurse and the term midwife can only be used by those who are registered with APRA. So that's pretty hunky-dory. So if you're a registered nurse, if you're an enrolled nurse, or you're a registered midwife, you can call yourself a nurse or a midwife. Is there a glaring omission that you think might be using the term nurse? AINs, yeah. So our assistants in nursing, they can't use the ter term nurse on its own. They can use the term assistant in nursing, okay, but if they are wearing a badge that says nurse, or they're being referred to as a nurse by their facility, okay, that is in contravention of the piece of legislation. There can be individual fines and, and facility fines for doing that. So be careful when you're looking at some of, you know, it's about the public knowing what, you know, what they're looking at. And a lot of um, aged care facilities, they're advertising their wares to the public and say, put your relative in here and we have 20 nurses on staff. They don't have 20 nurses on staff. You know, they might have one or two that are registered who can use that title, but the others aren't. Okay, so they can be in trouble over doing that. Okay, so it's about having the, the public know what level of care is being delivered in those facilities. For the first time, we also just have now only two registers. We have a register for all nurses, which will be your registered nurses and your enrolled nurses, and we have a register for midwives. Okay, your enrolled nurses are no longer on a roll. Okay, there's just registers. Codes and guidelines I've got listed there just because to let you know that things have moved. So where you normally would have had to go to the old Nurses and Midwives Board website to find these sorts of things, they're now on, well, it's confusing because APRA and the National Board share the same website. So when you're moving around on the website, don't get, you know, don't get too confused, they just share the same portal. Okay, so that's where things have moved to. Accreditation is listed there because that's one of the roles of the National Board, is to accredit every course across the country that will actually train a nurse or a midwife. That's causing a little bit of grief. It's not as quick. When it used to be a state-based service, you know, courses went through a lot, a lot quicker. There seems to be a bit of a backlog um, of, of courses being approved. Endorsements. Now, if I mentioned the word endorsement to you previously, what, what, would, you, what would you think I was talking about? Medications. So you mean enrolled nurses? Enrolled nurses doing, being able to do medications? Because we've always called them endorsed enrolled nurses in this state. That's no longer the case. Okay, the term endorsed enrolled nurse 
we no longer use. Okay. Since 2003, every enrolled nurse who has trained across the country has come out with the ability to give medications. So the standard for an enrolled nurse is that ability. So we just refer to enrolled nurses now as enrolled nurses. Those who don't have an ability to give a medication, if you look up their registration, and I'll show you that in a minute, what you can see on their registration is what's called a notation. And it will say they don't have that qualification to give medications. Okay, so if you look at your awards and your agreements, the term endorsed EN is no longer in there. Because endorsement under the national scheme means something totally different. Okay? Endorsements in the national scheme applies to registered nurses and midwives who have an extra ability. So who would be a registered nurse who would have an extra ability? Yeah, nurse practitioners. Okay, have the ability to prescribe a formulary of, of, of medications, um, you know, order diagnostic tests. They have what's called an endorsement under national registration. And guess what? They have to do more CPD. So when we whinge about our 20, some of these people have to do a lot. So a nurse practitioner has to do another 10. Okay? The other group of, of um, our profession that, that has an endorsement are the midwives and they're a term called an eligible midwife. Now they're the ones who do the home births. Okay, So they have more CPD, CPD hours as well. They have to do an extra 20 for that endorsement. So if they're a registered nurse, a registered midwife and an eligible midwife, they have to do 60 CPD hours. So it's not always just as easy as, you know, we all have to do 20. So don't tell them when you're whinging about your 20, because it doesn't go down well. I'm going to walk you through the mandatory registration standards in a sec. But these are some of the new things, and ones that have taken a life of their own, of their own some of them. Um, mandatory notification. Tell me you've heard that one. Yeah, maybe not. Oh, they just heard about it before. Oh, well, you should be able to tell me then. Who's been telling you about it? Laura. Okay, so mandatory notification, so I don't need to go over that, you know. You've now got the ability to make a notification about someone that you work with. Yep, so I won't go over that. Student registration. That's a, it's a, it's a, just a technical one where anyone who registers with a university TAFE, anywhere that's training nurses and midwives, that they are put on the register with APRA. Okay? It's kind of a, you know, supposed to be about workforce planning so that we have some idea in you know, three years' time for an RN, 18 months for an EN, how many are progressing. Non-practicing registration. Probably one of the ones that's been most misinterpreted. So non-practicing would make sense if people actually took it literally and meant when you are no longer practicing, hence you have retired, this is the choice of a category you might want to put your registration into. If you wish, you don't have to. 
So when you retire, you have two choices. You can just let everything go off into the ether, or you can decide, I want to put my registration into non-practicing. And you might say, why in the world would I want to do that? Why would I want to put it into a category? Because you can still use the title if you go into non-practicing. Whoopity-doo, they might say. So if you want to sign your Christmas cards off, it's an option. But you need to, you need to remember that these, these, these standards apply to all those 14 professions. So there was one of those, that group of 14 that when they retire, they'd rather walk over hot coals than give up their title. I think you know who I mean. So they needed a category to put themselves into. But, you know, there are some of the nursing profession who are using this. Or nurses that have dropped their midi have gone into this. It's, it's a personal choice. Okay, but you don't have to. But one of the interesting little things we did find, that we, we managed to clean out the registration a little bit with this because there was quite a number of nurses on the register prior to us going into national registration who really weren't practicing, who were literally sitting in nursing homes being look after, looked after as patients, but were still registered because that's how the system worked. You just sent your paperwork back. Okay, so at least now we've got, got people on the register who are actually physically out there doing the job. But don't think it's a spot where you can just have a little rest. Like, just, I'll just rest my registration here for a little bit and then I'll bring it back. Because you need to give it advanced life support to get it back. Okay? It's not that easy. You've got to apply from scratch again if you decide to go into non-practicing. So it's when you've basically said, I'm no longer going to do that as a job. I don't know if you've got the tattoo yet, the 31st of May. It's on trend to remind yourself when your registration is due. And also that the, now I'm sure you guys all are very aware of this one, that the register of practitioners is a public register. So you can go on and look anyone up. You can go and look yourself up. You can go and look any of the other 14 professions on that list up. Have you looked yourselves up? I knew you'd be paranoid enough to do that. Yep. I've got that one ticked in this room. Yep. Normally I get a group, nah, I couldn't be bothered. Why would I have a look? Mental health and drug and alcohol. No, I want to know what they know. I want to see what they can see. Yeah. Because um, you will have found, if you haven't gone on and changed your principal place of residence, which would mean your principal place of practice, it will have defaulted to your residence suburb. Now, sometimes you're running and trying not to have people following you. So you might not want to have them know where you actually live. So have a look at what's up there if you haven't had a look. It's an interesting register. All you need to do is put in the, the name, the family name and the first name of the person you're looking up, the profession they say that they are, and the state that they're working in. And then it'll pull up the list who are appropriate to that. Okay, so you can look anyone up. You want to go to a chiropractor next week, you can look them up on that list and see if they're registered, have any issues. 
Okay? And it gives you a whole heap of information. It really only gives you your first training qualification. It doesn't give everything you've done. Okay, people get a bit thingy that, oh, my master's isn't there and my this isn't there. They only, want your, they only put up your first qualification. But if you do have any conditions on your registration, they'll be up there to see. Employers, obviously, can do this as well, and they can do that as a group. They can do a bulk lookup. I know, a lot, I know most employers are still saying, you know, at registration time, please still show us your proof of registration. But they do have the ability to look everyone up. Okay, as a, as a group. A little bit of tweaking of these has occurred, and these are the ones you've also ticked off saying that you know. Criminal history, not that that would be an issue in this room at all. You're all good. Yeah? So it's now a national database that they run you through to do with your criminal history. So if you want to go interstate and be naughty, they will find you. Okay, you need to declare what's going on. English language competency has increased and we're now playing tit-to-tat with the UK. We don't think they can speak English because they don't think we can. So we're testing vice versa there. Professional indemnity insurance. Probably the question most people get confused. Professional indemnity insurance is different in New South Wales to any other state, and that's why it's been confusing for us when we do our registration. In New South Wales, your professional indemnity insurance is provided by your employer. So whether you work in a public, private, aged care, that insurance is provided by your employer, okay, um, under the Employees Liability Act. In every other state and territory, it comes with your union membership. So that's why that question is asked, because often they're saying, do you have your union membership as well as this to register? Okay, so it just tripped us up a little bit, people not quite understanding that question. So it says, when you work, will you have this? And if you're working in New South Wales, of course, you then will. Anyone working in a, any GP practices or, pri or private practice? No? Nope. Yeah? So you just need to watch what your practice insurance is because they might have a, some exclusions around what you do. So just have a, a bit of a look at that. Recency of practice and CPD are ones I'll just go through in a little bit more detail. Recency of practice is Every time you register, you have to think back five years and say to yourself, have I done at least three months full-time equivalent hours in that period? Now, it's not much. 456 hours is not a lot in a five-year period, okay? But people have been caught in this trap and continue to get caught in this trap, where they've been winding back their hours or they're off-raising the family. Okay, so in any five-year period, you've got to maintain at least that three-month full-time equivalent hours of practice to maintain your registration. Okay, so if you need to, keep a bit of dossier of your hours and just make sure that you're within that scope. Now, when I say, you know, that amount of hours of practice, what is practice? And practice, as it's defined, okay, and a lot of people have misused this, 
is that it's defined as any role that you do, whether it's remunerated or not, so that means paid or not, in which the individual uses their skill and knowledge as a nurse or a midwife. What it doesn't mean is time off bringing up the kids in a carer's role looking after an ill parent or you know partner. It has to be, if it's in an unpaid role, it has to be formalised. So say you might want to volunteer with the Red Cross and you want to do 12 months you know, working with them as a nurse. Then you could claim that as your practice hours. Okay? But it has nothing, there's no word up there saying clinical, is there? There's nothing about patients. So for those in the room that don't actually have hands-on clinical practice, you still have practice as long as you are using your nursing knowledge and skills. So if you're an educator, a manager, you know, a coordinator, whatever your role that you do that asks you to be a nurse or a midwife and have those skills, then that is the definition of your practice. Does that make sense? there's been a lot of misuse of, of that. People being told they're going to go and do clinical hands-on hours, midwives having to go and deliver babies and all sorts of stuff to fulfil this requirement. It's not. Okay, so like I'm a registered nurse, bang, um, you know, but I, don't let me near a patient, please, wait a little while. Um, but I still have recency of practice. I get offers all the time, I don't know why. I think upright and a pulse seems to be the first criteria. So just Think about that when you're looking at, you know, is my role still nursing or midwifery? Some of the ones that are causing a little bit of an issue are disability, okay, where they're kind of, you know, they're questioning not being paid as a nurse. So as soon as you're not getting paid as a nurse, it starts to raise some questions. Any of those questions, send them, send them in, okay? Contact us, that's what we're here for. So the CPD started, part of things, that's hard to say on a Friday afternoon, is that you must have to do a minimum of 20 hours. It doesn't say a maximum, just a minimum. But 20 is all you have to demonstrate to APRA to say that you've done your CPD. You can do hundreds of hours in a year, just don't send it to them. Okay? All they want to know if they ask you is 20 hours. And it must be relevant to the context of your practice. So anything you want to do, it's really got to be something you can use at work. Okay? You might do other courses just for continuing education, but when you're looking at CPD, it's purely to do with your work. CPD, if you think of it as your contract between you and APRA, and the link in that is your registration. Proving you've done 20 hours of CPD lets you maintain being registered. It's got nothing to do with your employer. They don't have to give you time off to do your CPD. They don't have to pay to send you to things for your CPD because we all have to do it. And we've all got to do it every year. So have a think about what are the things that you have been thinking about doing for CPD and are they maintainable? You know, have you been going off to very expensive conferences, not this one of course, but going off to expensive things because you think that's what you've got to do for your CPD? 
you know, that's, that's really not maintainable, is it? This is not meant to be about how to make money out of nurses. If you want to spend 20 hours of your CPD year reading some sort of professional material, then that is appropriate. So you don't have to be, you know, getting sucked into a lot of people who are advertising a lot of, a lot of things. Everyone who is, who is claiming that they're practicing has to do their CPD. So that's everyone from, you know, your dons, all of us have to do our 20 hours. What's an hour? Okay, an hour of CPD has nothing to do with points. I know Mark's already told you about points, that they don't exist. Okay, but what an hour is, is a, an hour of CPD is related to an hour of active learning. I will simplify active learning to awake. <laughs> so if you've been awake since you got here this morning, then you're doing really well. And you've got lots of hours that you can add up and put on that certificate. If you've had a nana nap, then you're in trouble. But I'm sure someone would have jabbed you by now. Yeah? So the stayers in the room, you're getting more CPD hours than those that have left. Because if you look at that certificate, has it got hours on it? No. It's blank. Because it's up to you to put on that certificate the number of hours you actively learnt. So there, is, there shouldn't be people giving you certificates saying, you've now got eight hours of CPD. Because that's up to you to work out. Did I get eight hours of active learning? And if I did, I can put eight hours on that certificate. But on the back of it, you need to make some notations to prove that it was active learning. Because if you just put eight hours on the front, that means you sat on that chair for eight hours. Okay? But the fact that you put some information on the back about what you got out of today means that you were actually awake and processing the information. Do you see the subtle difference between getting a certificate, which is just a sheet of paper, and getting one that you actually can put some notes on that says, no, I actually actively learnt for the period of time I was there and the things I got out of it. Normally when I do, because I run a half-day workshop on CPD about getting you to put all your, your stuff together, and normally by the end of it I've said this I don't know how many times, but the up, it's up to you line, because what that's about is what you want to do for your CPD, how you want to do it, how many hours you say it took you to do it, is up to you. It's up to you to prove the relevance to where you work, Okay? And it's up to you to sort of justify or verify that it took you that long to do something. You know, I've had people send me stuff about reading. You know, I've, I've, I read this article. It took me six hours to read it. And you look at it and it's two pages. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about, love? I'm your worst nightmare. No, that did not take six hours to read. So try and be a little bit, you know, re you know, lenient in what you try and, and claim. 
There's nothing that you are told that you must do for your CPD. So there's no activity that you must complete. You don't have to do research. You don't have to give in-services. Right? You don't have to do, um, attend a conference. There is nothing written that stipulates what you have to do. Even though one area health service did try to pull that gig. You know, they tried to tell their staff they had to do a piece of research and in-service you know, as part of their CPD. Well, they were kind of whistling Dixie, weren't they? That was not, there was nothing in the legislation. They were just trying to get a lot of work out of people. Okay, but, so what the legislation actually says, it's up to you what you choose to do. So as I said, if you want to spend your 20 hours reading, you can. If you want to go to a, a seminar that went for 20 hours, you can do that. You want to do a combination of things, you can do that. It's up to you to prove it. Now the one on there that's, uh, um, that mentions the mandatory in-service education, because originally you couldn't claim mandatory, but you all cried, screamed more like it, that you know, we spent hours doing this stuff, why can't we count that? Okay, so they ended up putting it back in. But when you read the intent of CPD, mandatory really doesn't cut it. Okay, so my, my strong advice of, you know, we're the place that has to look at these, you know, your evidence when you're trying to get through, you know, an audit, is don't have all your 20 hours being mandatory. We won't get you over the line. Okay, you can have some of it being mandatory, but just don't have all of it. So you can have your frequent flyers each year that you might want to claim, your fire and safety, your CPR, those sorts of high-end hygiene, don't they love that? The five moments of God knows what and those gowns and those pictures do my head in. I, can't, I just can't get that one right. I don't know. It's just, you know, you move the gown around and which, what do you take off first? It's like, in the end, I don't care really. Just run. <laughs> so you might have some of those that you want to claim every year just to top up your hours. This is what the, what the legislation actually says you're supposed to do. That you, they expect us to be able to demonstrate we've taken a planned approach to our CPD for the year. So we haven't just like tripped over something and thought that'd be a good idea. You know, we weren't passing 50 O'Day Avenue Waterloo this morning and thought, wonder what's on, there's some cameras out the front, let's go on in, you know, and I'll spend a day here. You planned to come. This is, a good, this is a good example of what you might want to use for this year's CPD, you know? And then add some other top-up hours. Because do you know what the year runs from? It's not a calendar year. It's not a financial year. It's your registration year. Just another year to think about, yeah? So the 1st of June to the 31st of May each year is your registration or your practice year and that's when you do your 20 hours of CPD okay so sometimes when I do courses on the 30th of May and they've already done their 20 hours they're glaring at me you know going I can't count this well sorry you know it's just how it fell so those dot points on that slide are what's important to remember so the planned approach is one thing. Then they want us to be able to identify a learning need 
okay? But they want it based on a recognised professional standard. And that's why I mentioned the competency standards earlier on. So if you haven't taken those off the website of APRA and had a look at them, please do. Okay, because you need to know those, or some of them, to make them relevant to your CPD plan. Okay, and if you're going to have lots of questions about this, you can, you can ring us or come to one of the, the full art workshops. But I'm going to point you to a document that you can download and, and, and use at home. They then want you to develop a brief learning plan. Brief is in the legislation, thank God, because legislation makes you feel a bit nauseated, doesn't it? Yeah? I've got a template for you. Then they want you to actually participate in the activity. So you've actually got to do it. You can't just plan it all and put it away. You've actually got to do the do. And then they want you to reflect on the value of what you did. So what did I get out of it? So how that simply equates is in this document here. So if you go to our website and you go to the education section where you would have found out about how to register for today. There's a section there called CPD and that's where you will find this document. Okay? This document outlines all the stuff I've been talking about since you know, I started. Okay? If you can't find your answer in that document, someone's made it up. Okay, so, and there's lots of those sort of whispers around. People make things up and, you know, people are confused. But in that document, and what you'd pay money for, is that. And that's a learning plan, a template of a learning plan that ticks all the boxes that get you through an APRA audit. Okay? It gives you room to look at identifying your learning need, why it's important to your practice, how you're going to achieve that learning need, different hours that you might have spent doing, different activities. Dates, now that's a tragic thing. You've actually got to have dates next to when you did things. Okay, so you might be thinking, why is she saying that that's tragic? Because I think you've got some homework. Because I'm sure you haven't done this since we started. I'll take a dollar off anyone who has. <laughs> so a lot of you are going to go home and have to do this for the last few years. At the moment, they can audit you up to three years. <sighs> there goes Friday night. Okay, so if you haven't been doing it in this format to date, this is your opportunity to get it into this format. And the, the dates is tragic because three years ago is a little foggy of what you might have done when. So doing it actually year to year makes it a little bit easier. The bottom one is around the reflection box and what you got out of doing the activities that you did. Okay? That's how brief and simple the learning plan has to be. So the evidence you need to keep every year, realistically, is that learning plan. If that doesn't take up your whole CPD 20 hours, then there's another template on the website that lets you add your mandatory to that. Okay, so I invite you to have a look at those templates. But I do run, you know, fuller workshops. Um, we have them here at Waterloo and around the state um, throughout the year. If you know, if you needed to go through it a bit more fully. But if you walk through that and have a look, 
and there'll probably be people back at your workplace that have actually done the workshop as well. Okay, but you must do a learning plan for each of your practice years. Otherwise, we can't help you. Okay, now the only other change that I want you to draw your attention to is auditing. We used to clap our hands with glee when we got to July because we hadn't got an audit letter. And we thought, whew, got through that one. Uh, not anymore. Now they're spreading the love throughout the year. Okay, now they're auditing every month bar December. Okay, so you, you might get that happy little letter in the letterbox at any time. Okay, but it's only a small number that they're auditing, but it's better to not procrastinate than end up with hand cramp trying to put everything together in 30 days after you've rung us and cried and screamed. Yeah? All right, that's the link. So it's our website, the education, and then CPD, where you'll find that document. If you've got any questions, you can just ring through and um, speak to someone who can give you some assistance. Otherwise, thanks for staying. Thanks very much, Susan. And I'm sure everybody will go home and do it tonight. <clears throat> well, that brings us to the conclusion of today. Um, thank you all for coming, everybody, and um, I hope it's been helpful to your practice. And I would like to thank the speakers again for their input and help with the day. Without them, we wouldn't have today. So thank you very much again. Um, thank you. Yes, great. And they've been wonderful speakers. It's been really good. So have a safe journey home. The evaluation box is over with Janet at the moment. So if you want to put your evaluations into that. And um, don't forget to check TV to see if we're on TV tonight. So everybody have a safe journey home and remember, be careful out there. <laughs>